This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 107. It can be found on page 506 in the Black Hardback Bible in the pew. Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the south and from the north. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight path till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from the distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He set out his word and healed, sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from the destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. 
but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here. And in addition to welcoming you, we also have a 5 p.m. cookout tonight. So I'm going to say that right now so I don't forget to say it later. Um, there's a like all church cookout tonight at 5 p.m. So if you're new or you feel new or you're part of our community already, please come out with us and have fun. Um, bring a side or a dessert and we'll see you then. Um, Thursday, Thursday evening, Wyatt Bury sent me a text that he was exposed or around someone that had this thing called COVID-19 and he wasn't gonna be here. So that meant that I got the surprise opportunity to preach today and that changed my Friday and my Saturday. (laughs) But I'm really thankful. Um, I'm really looking forward to sitting under this word. I love this Psalm and I'm honored and delighted and privileged to walk through it with us. The Psalm is epic. It's grand, it's beautiful in its scope for what it declares about God and what it demonstrates from the, about the psalmist's disposition towards God. The Bible's always telling us what God's like, and this psalm is written so that we would brave the difficulties of this life with gratitude. This July, we chose to focus on psalms of thanksgiving because gratitude from the creature, that's us, toward the creator is good for us. We chose the theme of thanksgiving for these psalms in July because thanksgiving is good for our hearts. All over the scriptures, we're we're commanded to be thankful and grateful. And the reason that we're commanded to be thankful and grateful isn't um, isn't like when parents demand that their children be grateful because there's children starving in the world. His instruction to be grateful and thankful is actually something that's good for us. It's good for us all the way to the bottom. We're given the living God. We're given his Christ. We're chosen by God and we've been made sons and daughters of the living God. We've been given promise after promise after promise in the Bible. We're heirs with Christ. Our suffering won't have the last word. Everything in our lives is working for our good. God's not stingy with us. If we simply add up all the reasons that we could be grateful, the Christian has unending reasons because the Christian has an unending God who has declared his covenant love as a banner over his people. The justifications for us to be grateful are bottomless. He is everything he has, everything he owns, everything, and he gives us everything we need for life and godliness in his son, Jesus Christ. So from a perspective of sheer objective reality, Psalms of Thanksgiving accord with what is true about the nature of the universe. They're right. We've all won the lottery, so to speak. Your God's not deaf or weak or distant. He's strong and good and near. So gratitude toward the living God from the creature is fitting, right? It's fitting that we should be thankful 
It accords with reality. It's right that we be grateful. But also, more than only being right, it's also good for us. We're commanded in the scriptures to be grateful, not only because it's sensible, but but also because it's what we need. It's not what God needs. It's what you and I need. We should be grateful because it's um, grateful because it's what our hearts actually long for. God does not tell us to be thankful because he needs to be recognized or because he needs to feel valued by us. He doesn't tell us to be grateful because he's discouraged and he hasn't gotten enough attention from us and he's pouting. Gratefulness is for us. It's a loving thing for God to tell us to cultivate that in our hearts. And it's good for us because it aligns us with truth and beauty. Gratefulness is a beautiful thing. And we can see the sequence of gratitude beginning in Psalm 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. Give thanks to the Lord because he's good. Give thanks to the Lord because his steadfast love endures forever. When we believe, when we see who God is and what he's done for us, it's a natural step to enter into praise and enter into thanksgiving. It's fitting. It's the appropriate posture for us to take. Ignoring God's goodness, being thankless or unappreciative is a posture of unbelief and the fruit of unbelief. So let's enter into this psalm ready to have the truths of God's goodness wash over us and fulfill us. Let's choose to open our our eyes wider and take in more of who God declares himself to be. We aren't alone. We aren't left to ourselves. We aren't forgotten. Our God reigns and he's here with us now. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and then we'll just keep going. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be here in this moment. I ask that you would till up good soil in the hearts of the people in this room. I ask that you would give us fresh eyes. I ask that you would give us humble hearts. I ask that you would show yourself to us. I ask that you would deepen the reality of your power and majesty and goodness and faithfulness in our lives. I ask that that would sink down deeper into us today. I ask that we would repent of sin. I ask that we would be convicted of places that we ignore you. I ask that we would be comforted in places that we're weary. I ask that we would be strengthened in places that we see things in front of us that seem daunting. I ask, Lord God, that you would glorify yourself in the hearts of the people in this room. Magnify yourself in the hearts of the people in this room today. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we march through this psalm, there's a rhythm to it. There's a kind of like up, down, up, down rhythm to it. It goes like this. We get ourselves into trouble. That's what we do. That's what human beings do. We get ourselves into trouble. And sometimes this is a consequence of sin. Sometimes it's a result of something outside of our control. Either way, in every circumstance, we should cry out to God for help and recognize his steadfast love that endures forever. This entire psalm, it can be summed up in a phrase like, hey God, I'm in trouble. I need help. Please deliver me. And then God shows up. It just goes over and over and over again. His wondrous works to the children of men. God delivers and we rejoice and thank him for that deliverance. That's it. So I think it'd be good for our souls today to just meditate on that. 
The fact is that we only have two kinds of people in this room to begin with. We have people who are either in trouble or people who are just out of trouble who need to thank God for getting them out of that trouble. It's kind of where we are all the time in the Christian life. One of two places. We want to be wise. I want us to be wise. So I'm going to have a start at the end of this chapter at verse 48. And just think about this as kind of like the reason that we're meditating on and that we're digging around in this psalm. Verse 48 says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We want to be wise. We want to be wise people. So we're going to try to attend to these things today. And I'm going to do that through four questions. I'm going to track the different places that this psalmist says, some were in this trouble, some were in this trouble, some had this going on, some had this other thing going on. I'm going to track those four realities and ask these four questions. Are you wandering today? The text says some were wandering. Are you wandering today? Are you rebelling today? The text says that some rebelled against the word of God. Are you being a fool today? And are you underneath your circumstances? Are you underneath your circumstances today? So the first one, are you wandering? Verse four says, some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. That's the first question that we all have to ask ourselves. Where's my soul looking for what it needs most? Where's my soul looking for what it needs? Where am I wandering? If you find yourself empty and hungry and looking for something, where are you looking? Where are you looking? We're in church. We're in church right now. So it's easy to read this and think that it's for somebody else or somewhere else. But that question is for us. We might be tempted to think that this question is for somebody who doesn't believe or doesn't know the Lord. But right here, right now, we should apply it to our lives and ask ourselves, ask God to reveal our hearts to us to where we are looking to something else for safety and security and strength than the living God. This text highlights some folks who are just wandering aimless in the desert, wandering without being able to discover a way, discover a path, discover a road that leads to safety and a home to belong to. They can't find the road to the city, right, where refuge and safety and security exist. These folks are cooked in the desert and they're doomed and their soul is fainting. When we get done exercising or working out or walking or taking a bike ride, we guzzle water with thirst. What's the state of your soul this morning? Is your soul thirsty for God? Is your soul thirsty for the things of God? Are you parched or exhausted or fainting? Or are you full to the deepest places of hunger in your heart? Are you, uh, is your thirst quenched on the goodness and the reality of God? Or do you find yourself wandering in a desert? What are you looking for to be the city that you belong to? What are you looking for so that you can feel safe and taken care of? Who are you looking to? Who are you looking to so that you can be stable and secure? Do you know? Do you know? Is it the Lord? Is it God or is it something else? And if you can't answer that question, you do well to attend to these things. You'd be wise to attend to these things. Because in our society, we're being 
inundated with lots of different options here. Lots of different things that we could eat or drink to find our satisfaction. We're being inundated with them all the time. What are the things that you go to for sustenance and vitality? Is it your spouse or your kids or your lake house or social media? Do you find your belonging and your safety in being liked or approved of or applauded? Do you find your stability and security in the number of followers that you have? And that's a real question today. It's a real question, not because any of us would stand up and declare to the world that my stability and security rise and fall based on how many likes or dislikes I have. It's a real question because when we see things and we pay attention to the messages that are being uh, shot our way, if we notice our hearts rising and falling in satisfaction or hope or safety or belonging, that matters. That's something that we should pay attention to. What makes you feel accepted and secure? Only you and God can answer that question, but it will be a desert and it will leave you fainting if it isn't God himself. Do you find yourself looking to your bank account for security and safety? What's the number? What's the number that triggers your anxiety in your, in your uh, financial accounts? What's the number that bolsters your self-sufficiency and your pride? What's the number that keeps you from needing to think about God or look to him to really provide you with what you need? It's a desert and security will not be found there. What about your job? How many accolades are necessary or how many promotions are necessary or how many good reviews are necessary for you to feel safe, secure, stable? If you're looking to these anything else, anything else other than the living God, it's like wandering, wandering in the desert. You'll find no road, no way, no path to a real city to dwell in. The next question I want to ask is, do you find yourself in rebellion this morning? Do you find yourself in a spot of rejecting the living God this morning? Verses 10 through 12 say, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. And they have rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. These folks find themselves sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death because of their rebellious attitude toward the word of God. So I want us to be the kind of people who can be honest with ourselves and give ourselves honest assessments. Where are the places that my heels are dug in and I don't want to listen to God? What are the places that my heels are dug in and I want to give him other options to choose from than the ones that he clearly gives us in his word? In these verses, we see two examples of what it means. These folks are in chains and in prison because they've rebelled against the words of God and spurned his counsel. Rejecting the word of God, rejecting the word of God is not freedom. It's slavery. It's slavery. Rejecting God's word is to reject life and freedom. Rejecting and rebelling against the word of God is dangerous and disastrous, and it only ends in the shadow of death. Today, there's no shortage. Today, there is no shortage of unbiblical teaching from the Bible. From the Bible. 
Today, there's many, many options to find any kind of Bible teacher you desire. There's many, many people opening the Bible and giving you instructions for life and flourishing that aren't biblical. That aren't biblical. You don't have to believe the Bible to call yourself a Christian anymore. Many people reject sections or whole principles of the Word of God and still want to say that they're following Jesus. And they can find teachers or bloggers or TikTokers, if that's how you say that, <laughs> to validate and justify and rationalize whatever opinion that they hold. To rebel against the Word of God today, you don't have to reject Christian language. You don't have to reject Christian culture. You can be perfectly polite and kind and Christian-looking and yet completely reject the authority of Scripture, completely reject the natural interpretations of Scripture. You can call yourself a Christian these days and believe very little about the Word of God to actually be true. And that'll leave you enslaved. You can't find freedom in a world that was spoken into existence by rejecting or editing the very word that spoke it. You'll be a slave. You'll be a slave if you spurn or scorn or reject the counsel of the one who created you. And this can be subtle. This can be subtle just like in the beginning. In the garden, Satan whispered something small and seemingly insignificant to Eve when he said, did God really say? Did God really say? And that small whisper is what plunged all of creation into sin and death and destruction in the beginning. Every screen that we look at and every marketing campaign that we listen to is trying to get us to believe that God didn't really say anything that important. Everything that we look at is trying to get us to question whether or not what God said is really worth listening to. This question is being asked and answered in schools, on college campuses, in the media. It's being answered with full tilt rejection or it's being answered with really subtle kind of like compromises and suggestion. But that whisper is in the back of everything that we hear and read. Like, did God really say? Did God really say? Surely it's not that big of a deal. Surely one bite of this fruit won't be that big of a deal. And that thought to, to resist belief and submission and obedience to the word of God will kill us it will trap us. It will enslave us. And there's only one way out that we read in this text. And it's to turn and cry to the Lord. And he'll deliver us. The next thing I want to talk about is whether or not we're being foolish. That's the next kind of jam that we get ourselves into. And this foolishness that's represented in the text is the kind that we're guilty of through our own sinful actions and our own sinful behaviors. Are you being a fool with sin this morning? We have to be the kind of people that regularly ask that kind of question. We have to keep asking, am I being a fool this morning? Am I nurturing or nursing some sort of hidden sin or reality or, or sinful disposition in my heart? Am I being a fool with sin this morning because sin's nothing to trifle with? No matter how small or insignificant, it always kills it always kills. Verses 17 and 18 say, some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, 
They suffered afflictions. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Sin always gets you close to the gates of death. And sin always is a fool's game. It tricks you and lies to you and cheats you out of life and flourishing. And there are examples in the scriptures where the consequences of our sin have really unique, powerful, merciful designs to them. And that's the opportunity that we have. That's the reason that we asked God, we asked God Lord, would you see any grievous way in me? Expose in my heart any more sin because those are places that we, we walk through consequences of our sin and the pain and the struggle and the heartache that comes in that moment is a mercy from the living God so that we would do what this text actually demonstrates and cry out to him again and cry out to him over and over and over again. And we see a really great example of this in the prophet Amos. In Amos chapter four, verses six through 11, which is page 766 in your uh, Bible in your pews. We see how foolishness and sinful consequences operate as opportunities to receive the mercy of God, to receive the mercy of God. I'm going to read from, from verse six, Amos chapter four, verse six, page 766. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. And that's not about being a dentist. That means you didn't have anything to eat. You didn't have anything to make your teeth dirty. It means you didn't have any food. You didn't have anything to eat. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees. The locust devoured them. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt, I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into, the, into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. There are consequences of our sin, our foolish attitudes that we walk through that sting, that hurt. And that is the mercy of God so that we, were, we would return to him, so that we would turn back to him, so we'd feel the weight of it. If you find yourself in a spot where you're walking through consequences of darkness and sin, receive that as the mercy of God and turn back to him, not away from him. Turn back to him, not away from him. In that passage in Amos, the sin of the people has caused all kinds of affliction, but they're not getting the point. We want to be the kind of people who are wise, who get the point. We sin because we think 
Doing what we want is where true freedom is found, but it isn't. It is not. True freedom is found in doing what God wants from our hearts. From our hearts. That's why we need a new heart to be free. We think that if we could just throw off restraint, then we'd be satisfied and we'd be happy, but that's not true. You see, for the glutton, more is never enough. For the ravenous, more never satisfies anything. Satisfaction is unattainable, but the righteous are content. To people who love money, more money never does the trick. So are you finding yourself tangled up in sin this morning? I invite you to run to the mercy of God. Run back to the mercy of God, repent, expose it, turn away from it, cry out to the living God in your distress, and he will deliver you. Lastly, lastly, do you find yourself under the weight of your circumstances this morning? Are you overwhelmed with tragedy? Are you daunted by the tasks ahead of you? Are you unsure or confused? Do you find yourself like a ship at sea during a storm with everything in your life outside of your control, outside of any effort to change anything? Do you find your courage melting away? Do you find your strength to be like a drunk man staggering or a drunk man with wobbly knees? Do you find yourself underneath the sheer weight and heft of scary, daunting, uncontrollable circumstances. If that's the trouble that you're in right now, there's also a word for you in this moment. Because we're all in some kind of trouble. Or we'll all be in the position to thank God for getting us out of some kind of trouble. But where are you this morning? The ocean during a storm is a terrifying thing. If you, I went, um, when I was just out of high school, I went and spent five days at Boundary Waters State Park, which is just on the border of Canada and the United States. And you have to canoe across these giant, giant, giant to me lakes. And on windy days, you get me out there in the middle of the lake and I was pretty, I was pretty scared. So like open water is like my greatest fear. But imagine being out in the middle of the ocean with waves the size of buildings. That's the kind of uh, reality that we find ourselves in in this life. We find things outside of our control stacked against us that we were never meant to have the strength to face. We were meant to lean on God, cry out to him, and ask him to show up and help in those kind of moments. We're all in trouble right now. Dallas Willard, the author and professor, he was once talking to a friend and he asked this friend like like any of us would. He asked this friend who was struggling in his life how he was doing. And the friend looked at him and said something really, really normal that we say all the time. He said, well, under the circumstances, I think I'm doing okay. And Dallas Willard, like only he could, quickly said, what are you doing under there? What are you doing underneath that? That's not where you belong. That's not where you belong. 
And I think hearing that over and over and over again is good for our souls. As we stay up late and get up early, as we work and pray and plod and plan and try to take one overwhelming step after the other, facing challenges in our life that have been ordained by God in our pathway, we have to remember, oh, we don't belong down there. We don't belong underneath them. God is with us. Verse 26 and 27 of this text read, they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Those are the waves around them. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. These circumstances are scary and dangerous and violent. And these men are about to give up. And we all know what that feels like. If not now, we've been in that place and we know we have one on the way. These circumstances are more than we can bear and there's only one answer. Cry out to the living God. Cry out to the living God. Whatever raging ocean that you find yourself navigating right now, it is not your job to fix it all or to change that person or to convict them of their sin. It's not your job to solve all the problems for all the people in your world that you love. And whatever tragedy that you're going through, it doesn't define you, or whatever job you had that you lost doesn't cost you one drop of the love of God. That plan that you had that failed does not thwart God's plan for your life. Those circumstances, whatever they may be, whatever you are doing, whatever you see in front of you that's freaking you out, you don't belong underneath the weight of them. Cry out to the living God. Let's take our cues from the psalmist and cry out for help. We're all in a jam or just getting out of one, and there's only one way to truly be rescued. This psalm makes it really, really clear. Even though there's a number of different kinds of trouble that we find ourselves in, there's always the same answer. Whether you are wandering or you feel lost and you don't know which way is up, whether or not you are rebelling and finding yourself digging your heels in against God because you don't want to believe what he says, whether you are in a spot where you're walking through consequences in your life that are because of your own foolish and sinful decisions, It doesn't matter. The answer is always the same. Cry out to God in your distress and he will deliver you. Every time they cry out, the psalmist follows that up with, and he delivered them. This is why we should give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. This is how our God acts on our behalf. We call on him and he helps us. Out of every type of trial and torment we find ourselves in, he's with us. We're not alone, so cry out to him. Have you been wandering? Have you been wandering away from God? Are you hungry and thirsty or looking for true safety, stability, and security? We read in Hebrews that here we have no lasting city, but we look to a city that is to come. Verse 9 in our text today says, He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Cry out to him today. Do you know that you're refusing to believe the word of God? Do you find yourself in chains because you've despised God's instructions for your life? Verse 14 says, He brought them 
out of darkness. He brought them out of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. He sets us free. Cry out to the Lord for help. Are you trapped and weighed down with shame and guilt from sins that you've committed in your past? Do you see the objective kind of destruction that the sin in your life has caused those around you? Are you living with awful consequences from foolish and sinful decisions? Because verse 20 says, he sent out his word and it healed them. It heals them. It heals you today and delivers you from your destruction. Cry out to the Lord for help. And are you underneath your circumstances right now? Are the waves crashing all around you? Do you feel all your courage melting away underneath the mounting pressures in your life? Because verse 29 says, he made the storm still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad and the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Cry out to this kind of God for help. He's the only help that won't let you down. He's the only way for you to truly find this desired haven or refuge or safety or stability. He's the only place to go. How do we find wisdom? We find it by meditating on this kind of psalm, by realizing that it does not matter what you're facing. Crying out to God is always the answer. Have you been wandering? Only one way to be found, to cry out to the living God. Have you been not listening to the, to the word of God? Only one thing to do, cry out to him. Have you been foolish or are walking through the muddy kind of fog and bog of the consequences of your actions? Only one thing to do in this moment, and that's to cry out to God. Do you find yourself overwhelmed with circumstances that are beyond your control? There's only one thing to do. Cry out to the living God. And then we, just like this psalmist, will be able to say and sing verse 31. Let them thank the Lord. Let them thank the Lord for his wondrous works to the children of man. Then we'll be able to say verse 35. He turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and, a, and get a, a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. And then again in verse 41, it says, he raises up the needy out of their affliction. Do you find yourself in a spot of neediness this morning? You are in good company. You're in good company. He raises up the needy out of their affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Finally, in verse 48, whoever is wise, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is how we cry and how God shows up and how we cultivate grateful hearts over and over and over again. Verse one said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures throughout every circumstance that you find yourself in. Every single circumstance that you find yourself in. 
They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And I know that this world does not look that way all the time. I know that this world does not look like he's saving us from our distress all the time. And that's why, that's why we take communion every single week. Because Christians have this beautiful picture that is powerful in your life to look back on as proof, okay? As the statement of the living God that his steadfast love endures forever. He's so committed to proving that as a reality that he's the kind of God that climbs onto a cross and dies for our sins, dies for every single thing in our lives that gets in the way of us experiencing this kind of steadfast love. He does all the work for us, and every single week we take communion to proclaim that not only to the world around us, but to each other. As we dip a piece of bread off and dip it into the cup and say, hey, this is Christ's body broken for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord again. He's proven his love for us. He's proven his commitment to us. He's proven his covenant faithfulness to us through the life, death, and resurrection of his own son. If you believe that this morning, we invite you to proclaim that to each other and to the world by taking communion. At Redeemer, we take communion by breaking a piece of bread off and dipping it into a cup. The stoneware cups are wine and the glassware is juice. If you're a Christian, please come up and celebrate that with us. If you're not a Christian, please pray in your seats. Consider believing that for the first time. We'll also have ministers over to my left who would love to pray for you and who would love to pray for any of you. If, you're fi- if you find yourself in one of these categories, wandering, stuck, rebellious, frustrated, lost, under the weight of your circumstances and you need a brother or a sister in Christ to come alongside you and pray with you so that you can cry out to God together, we have prayer ministers over to the left who would love to pray with you or for you. Um, the different places, the different stations for communion, we'll have one to my right and to my left. And then we'll have, also we'll have a, a station in the center here that's single serve and gluten free. And then we also have a station up in the balcony. If you're believing this morning in Jesus Christ for all your hope, for your righteousness, for your relationship with the living God, we invite you to come forward. I'm going to pray for us, and then, um, and then you can come up whenever you're ready. So Jesus, we trust you, we look to you, we believe you. You came and lived a life that we could not live, and you died a death so that we could die to ourselves and look to you alone. Would we live our lives today and into the future? Would we live our lives by the power of your life, death, and resurrection? Would we see our life as nothing to be grasped, but to be laid down and sacrificed for others to glorify you in your power and perfection and beauty? Help us to come down this morning and eat in faith to proclaim your glory and your goodness not only to the watching world, but to, uh, to the brothers and sisters that are in this room. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come up when you're ready.